Thank you for visiting Crosslink Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. I want to start a, a little two-sermon series as we get kind of into the Christmas season. I want to do a series called All I Want for Christmas. Um, I want to tell you a little story. When I was about 13, I was coming up on Christmas time and there were some things that I wanted for Christmas wanted them pretty bad and you have to understand that my nature my my MO especially with my mother that I never wanted to disappoint never wanted her to think that I was disappointed in any way in anything I always tried to be the good son you know and represent well and and um, I really wanted some stuff for Christmas and I woke up Christmas morning I went to the tree and uh, some of the things that I really 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 wanted were not there and so I had this, this letdown, you know, this disappointment, this thing was happening where I, I, wanted to, I wanted what I wanted, but I also didn't want my mother to know that. And she kind of knew how bad I wanted some of these things. And um, so at some point as I was opening some gifts, she said, Brett, are you disappointed? And I said, no, Mom, I'm not disappointed. Well, I was. Deep down, I was, and she knew it. And, and you know what? Christmas came and went that year. I'm fine. I'm not mentally scarred, or I don't have any. You know, I'm not, I don't need therapy or counseling or anything like that. Um, the next Christmas was better, I'm sure, and and uh, later that evening, I'm sure I was just fine. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is that that happens for us in life in general. Life doesn't turn out the way we thought it was going to turn out. Things don't always go the way we thought they were going to go. Your, your marriage, you wake up one day and you say, you know what, I, I didn't think marriage was going to be like this. Or I didn't think my job, I didn't think I would do this for the rest of my life. I had such big plans. I thought I would live there, not here. I thought I would, would meet and marry this kind of person, not this kind of person. I thought I would, you know, have a, a, a mixed family of kids and all I got are girls or all I got are boys. You know, it, it, life just doesn't turn out all the time the way you thought. Or I thought I would get married and I never actually did get married. Life doesn't always go the way we expect it to go. I want to show you a clip this morning. This is from a movie called A Christmas Story. If you've never seen this movie, you need to see this movie. Um, this little boy wants a Red Rider 200 BB gun. That's all this movie is about, is how he wants this BB gun for Christmas. And, and his mother, through the whole movie, every time he, and it's all about how he's trying to leave hints for his mom that he really wants this kind of BB gun. And every time he says something like that, she says something like, it's too dangerous, you'll put your eye out. You know, you get the obligatory, you'll put your eye out message whenever you say, tell mom you want a BB gun. And so what you're gonna see is Christmas morning when he wakes up and he's, he, he just hopes against hope that he's going to go downstairs and find this precious BB gun that he's wanted so bad because, after all, Flick, the kid next door, is going to have one. And, you know, if, if he's going to have one, i got to have one. So um, that's what you're going to see. And I just want you to get a sense of, of how life turns out for us sometimes.
Andy? Santa Claus had come. Santa last year, didn't he? Yeah. Ralphie, you play Santa this time. Well, who should I start with? Well, give Randy a present. And um, and I think I see Aunt Clara's gift to you right over there. She always sends you such wonderful presents, Ralphie. Give me mine, Ralphie. Come on, come on, Ralphie. into the cornucopia, quivering with desire and the ecstasy of unbridled avarice. Didn't I get a tie this year? Wow! Whoopee! A sibling! A can of Simon eyes. Ralphie, what did Aunt Clary give you? Show everybody. I don't want to. Ralphie, show everybody what Aunt Clara gave you. <sighs> Aunt Clara had for years labored under the delusion that I was not only perpetually four years old, but also a girl. She just always gives you the nicest things, Ralphie. Oh, my. Oh, isn't that sweet? Ralph, go upstairs and try it on. I don't want to. Go upstairs right now and try on that present. She went to all that trouble to make it. Now, go on. While Ralphie is changing, I'm going to play Santa Claus. Now, let me see what... I'm no expert, but I don't think that's a BB gun. Um, you know, God understands that life does not turn out for us the way we expect it to sometimes. God understands that we, we have expectations. We, we, we know we've kind of charted our course, and this is where we think we're going, and then something happens, sometimes that we don't have any control over. Sometimes something happens in our life that we don't have any control over, and we make a decision, and our decisions influence and impact the way our life turns out. And sometimes we can look back and say, you know what, it's nobody's fault but our own, but we made that choice, we did that thing, we went to that school, um, we, you know, we, we hung out with these people, I made this decision when I was 22, it affects me now when I'm 42, or whatever it is, we, we can look back at life and say that there are certain times that we've done things that have influenced the outcome of the way life went 
for us. God understands that. Some of the things that we look back on, we can laugh about. Some of the things we look back on are very, very serious. And some of the things, probably truth be told, when you get in a quiet place by yourself and you start thinking about how your life has gone, there may be a part of you that says, I never thought it would be this way. And you might even get angry. You, you, you might have this resentment and, and in your prayer life from time to time, it may crop up that you say things um, that kind of reveal your disappointment. You don't want anybody else to know, but when it's just you and God that there are certain things that you're saying to God um, that, that no one else ever hears. This week and next week, we're going to talk from the life of David. David has two instances where he could basically say that, and he responds differently in those two instances. Today, uh, he doesn't respond very well. Next week, we're going to see that he responds much better, and I think that the reason for that is, is directly related to how he responds today. I think he learns a lesson in what we're going to find today, and there, this is a great narrative we're going to read from the, the, the book of 1 Samuel. Um, David does basically what many of us do when we look up and we realize things are not going the way I thought they should go. They're not going the way I want them to go or the way I thought that, that things should turn out. He, he panics. He takes control. He takes matters into his own hands. He tries to get involved in the outcome. And he, he moves on the situation in a way maybe sometimes that God wouldn't want him uh, to move, which is exactly what we do sometimes. We see things and we, we start to think to ourselves, I've got to move on that. I've got I've to take some action. I've got to take matters into my own hands. And what we do from time to time is we jettison our character. We jettison some of our better judgment. We jettison some of those things that we really need to help us make it in life. And when we do that, that's when the problems really, really start. You know, we start to think to ourselves, if I don't, then it won't. If I don't do this, then this isn't going to turn out right. I've got to do something about it. 1 Samuel 21. I want to give you a little context before we get started this morning. This is the life of David. David, as you know, as a young boy, has a, a guy come to his house to lay hands on him. And this guy comes in, and, and after looking at all of David's brothers, takes one look at David and says, um, this is going to be the next king of Israel. Well, that's like somebody coming into your house and telling you that your son or better yet your daughter is going to grow up to be the president of the united states someday i mean can you imagine somebody walking into your house laying hands on one of your kids and saying this one's going to grow up and become the president of the united states david was just a teenager he's been brought in from out on the on the farm he's watching the sheep he comes in probably sweaty and, and smelly and he stinks of sheep and they lay hands on him this is going to be the next king and you know he's just a kid just a, a young boy and so you know you just wonder how that hits him you wonder okay that was interesting and he goes back out to tend the sheep again I mean do they have a party or what I mean what do you do after somebody tells you that you're going to be the next president of the United States or the next king we were at Catalyst this year and saw a little kid that was about 12 years old and and um, he knows all this political science stuff he knows all about politics and he, he stated unequivocally that he I think it's 2032 he is eligible to be president, some kind of thing like that. And he is going to be the next president is what he says in, in whenever his time comes. So he's got my vote because I was really impressed with him. Um, but somebody comes into your house, lays hands on one of your kids, leaves, and tells you along the way, oh, by the way, this one is going to rule the country someday. Um, see, this is problematic because there is already a king in Israel. His name is Saul. He has a son named Jonathan, and you happen to think, well, if there's going to be a next king of Israel, it's going to be Saul's son, Jonathan. 
Then through a strange set of circumstances, um, not all of which are related to this event, David ends up working as an intern, basically, in the palace. Uh, He ends up in the capital city in the household of Saul, and he starts thinking to himself, I am in the court of the king. Now, I know that the old guy said I was going to be the king someday. I don't know about all that, but I guess it's possible. I mean, I'm here. I'm in the city. I'm in the palace. I'm, I'm rubbing elbows. I've met the king. I mean, I don't know if it's really true or not, but, but it, it's a possibility. And so life goes by, time goes by, and one day, while he's still a teenager, he goes out to where the Israelites are, are lined up against the Philistines. And they're talking about having a war. And really all the talk is coming from one guy who's down in the valley and is a, is a nine-foot giant named Goliath. And David's not even there to fight. David shows up with some food that he's taken to his brothers. He's supposed to be checking on them. He gets to the valley, and he hears this guy uttering threats and insults against God. And David, in his uh, courage and naivety, you could say it however you want, hears this coming out of the mouth of Goliath and decides that he's going to do something about it, and he gets indignant. You know, how dare you talk about my God that way? How dare you utter insults and hurl insults at the living God? And, And so he starts to make his way down into the valley, not with a sling, not with a, a sword, not with uh, a shield, not with any weaponry. You know, he doesn't have any RPGs or anything like that. He goes down into that valley with a slingshot, and he starts to approach Goliath. Goliath thinks that this is rather amusing and can't believe that they would send somebody like David at him. And before he can even say the words, who is this that you've brought to go against me, David has unleashed a rock, and it has caught uh, Goliath square in the temple and one of my favorite expressions dropped him like a three foot putt immediately David becomes a national hero everybody's talking about David they write songs about David they talk about what a courageous young man he is they talk about how great he is and how he has delivered them and how he's, he's spared them Saul's pretty impressed Saul says basically you have spared our armies a bloody battle And as a result of that, we're in your debt, David. I mean, you really have done a good thing. Then Saul does an amazing thing. He comes to David and he says, here, I want you to marry my daughter. Okay, this guy a long time ago when I was a little kid comes, lays his hands on me, tells me I'm going to be the next king. I can't see how that's going to happen for the life of me, but one day I end up in the capital city. Not only am I in the capital city, I'm in the palace. Not only am I in the palace, but I'm meeting the king. Now, I've gone into battle with this guy named Goliath. One lucky shot to the brain. I've knocked him out. Now, the king is offering me the hand of his daughter. I'm in. I can see how I'm going to be the next king. I mean, I can, it's all so clear. I thought, you know, I ran through all the different scenarios about how I might be the king. But now I can start to see that the scenario is uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the son-in-law. And, I'm, you know, my, my wife is going to be the queen. And it's just going to stand to reason that I'll be the king. Maybe that old guy was right. God's working it all out. And he promised me. And as he works it all out and as he promised, he told David, when you grow up, you're going to be the king. I'm probably, you know, we asked David, what are you going to do when you grow up? Well, I'll just probably be the king. This has probably happened to you at some point in your life. Everything has fallen into place. Everything looks perfect. It's going so well. This is lined up, and this is lined up, and you can, you can start to see your way clear of a dream that you've had, and you're starting to see all the pieces 
start to fit into place. And it's almost miraculous as to how it happens. It starts to get better for David. Not only is he married to the king's daughter, but he develops a relationship with the king's son, Jonathan, a relationship that, that is very tight. There's a very strong bond between the two of them. And you wonder how David's imagination has got to start working at this point as he imagines all the different ways that this is going to come to pass. I mean, at least now you can see it. At least now you can say to yourself, well, I thought the old guy was kind of cracked when he first came to my house, but I'm starting to think that there is really something to it, and I think he was right, and God is in this. And then there's this huge change in the atmosphere in the kingdom. People begin to whisper, and David senses a mood change in King Saul. Then one day, after a fit of anger, Saul, the king, takes a spear and throws it at David, and he narrowly misses David. He almost gets him, and David escapes. And as he leaves, he thinks to himself, you know, something's changed. <laughs> I don't think that went all that well. I don't think the king's really all that happy with me. I mean, I, that's the impression I would get if somebody threw a spear at me. And he becomes aware that Saul has become very, very jealous of his popularity. They're even singing songs now about David, songs that kind of go like this. You know, Saul's uh, a, a good guy, but David is a great guy. Saul, you know, is pretty, pretty brave, but David is unbelievably brave. And they start comparing David to Saul, and the women and children are singing songs. And then Saul makes it known that he plans uh, for Jonathan to be the next king, not David. And so Jonathan and, and David have a conversation together. Jonathan gets him off to the side. He says, look, you know, I don't know how to say this, but you need to understand that if, if, you don't, if you're not careful, he, he's afraid that you're going to steal the, the throne from me. And so if you're not careful, he's just going to kill you. Because he doesn't, he doesn't want you to be the next king. He wants me to be the next king. He's very protective of this, David, and you need to watch out. Sure enough, the tide turns, and one day, as they're having this conversation, uh, Jonathan says, look, he's ready to kill you. Not only are you not going to be employed here anymore in the palace, you're not going to live here either. Not only are you not going to live here, if Saul has his way, you're not going to live anywhere. You need to leave. You need to take all your stuff, David. You need to pack it up. Listen, you're, you're my friend. I love you. And I'm telling you this because I want to see your life spared. My dad is ready to kill you. So you need to take all your stuff, pack now, and just go because you are a wanted man. And in that moment, everything that was going David's way suddenly goes south. It was perfect. It had all lined up. Everything that David had been told, he could see it. He was so close. And David was thinking, you know what? Not only am I not going to be the king, I'm not even going to be here for breakfast in the morning. I mean, it can happen sometimes that fast. And all of a sudden, David breaks for the border of Israel to leave the country as fast as he can. And when he does, he no longer feels as if God is with him or that God is ordering his steps. He no longer feels like the dream of him becoming king is going to come true. And it was a terrible thing for God to let him get so close to let him get so close to the promise and the happiness that would come with it. How, how dare God do that to me and tease me like that, set me up only to take it all out from under me. Now he's a fugitive. And where is God? 
And obviously things have changed, and obviously David is on his own, and David does what we would do. He panics. He begins to revert back to things that he knows will work, humanly speaking. And he turns his back on God, and he, he loses his values, so to speak, and begins to take life into his own hands and do the things that he knew uh, to do simply to survive. And that's where our story picks up today in 1 Samuel chapter 21. He's leaving the country, and on his way, he goes through a little town called Nob. Nob. Uh, Nob is where the priests hung out. It, this is not the same as Catholic priests. These guys were actually married and had kids, and um, the government kind of took care of them, and, and they lived in this city. They, they needed lots of priests for the temple, and so they hung out in this little town. And this is where David has kind of run off to, and he goes through there on his way to a different country. Look at verse 1. David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? This would be kind of like Dick Cheney showing up at your house all by himself. No SUVs, you know, no guys in black suits and sunglasses talking into their cuff. Nothing like that. Dick Cheney, you go to your front door and there's Dick Cheney standing there and you're like, okay, you want to come in? He's all by himself. See, David always traveled with an entourage. David wasn't ever by himself. You didn't see David out alone. He was an important guy. He always had people around him. And so Ahimelech knows something's up, and he, he wonders, David, why, why are you alone? Verse 2, David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king charged me with a certain matter. So he's lying. He's not, the king hadn't charged him with anything except you better get out of here or else I'm going to kill you. And said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. It kind of sounds like when, you know, you ever ask somebody in the military what they're doing, they use that expression, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. That'd be, this is where David would use that expression with Ahimelech. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. I'm on a secret mission from the king. And Ahimelech goes, ooh, secret mission from the king. And Ahimelech thinks he's an insider now. David has lied to him, and now he's dragged Ahimelech into this, Ahimelech into this story. So that's what I want you to see is, is David is doing all this, and Ahimelech is just an innocent bystander in this whole thing. He's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Second part of verse 2, as for my men, he doesn't have any men. But see, everywhere David went, he traveled with an entourage, and so everybody expected him to have men. As for my men... I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Oh, so you have men. Oh, yeah, I got lots of men. You know, they're, they're just, they're hiding. We're, we're, you know, I got them kind of squirreled away somewhere. You know, there's, there's SUVs all over the place. I got the guys, you know, talking into their, they're, they're there. They're going to meet me later. Ahimelech says, oh, I see. And he's just sucking Ahimelech into this whole thing. Verse 3, now then, what do you have on hand? See, he's hungry. What do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. This is when Ahimelech should have known that something was up. This is the point that Ahimelech, and the light bulb should go off for Ahimelech, and he starts to think to himself, okay, you're the captain of the army. You usually travel with this huge uh, entourage. Your guys are all camouflaged and hidden you're telling me and you don't have any food i mean it's at this point that ahimelech all the you know bells and whistles should be going off for him and he should start thinking to himself danger danger 
you know, something not right about all this. You ever have that nagging thing where you say, something doesn't add up here. David says, no, I'm hungry. And Himelech says, okay, you know, whatever you need. So he decides to feed him. The problem is Ahimelech does not have any normal food to give David. You see, what, what was normally in the, the area where the priests hung out was something called the, the, the bread of presence. And what that was is it's the, it's the bread that this, this would be prepared. Um, uh, let, let me read the verse first, verse 4. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. So we, we probably ought to talk about that. Ahimelech is, is saying, you know, I have bread, but, but what have you been doing? <laughs> you know, I need to make sure that you're okay to receive the kind of bread I'm going to give you. See, way back, uh, God said, I want the priest to keep 12 loaves of bread on hand at all times and these 12 loaves of bread represent the 12 tribes of Israel and I want you to keep this bread out all week long and it's going to be called the bread of presence and it reflects the fact that I am with the nation and I am providing for the nation so that's what this bread is all about it's a it's a it's a reminder that God provides and protects the nation all the time and so Ahimelech is talking to David about this bread and David knows what this bread is the minute he hears about the bread of presence, he knows what that is. See, the priests have to go through a certain ceremony to be able to eat this bread. You have to be ceremonially clean. Yeah, there's this uh, you know, procedure, and it sits out all week, and so the priests can eat this bread, and that's how the priests get their food. So Himalek's thinking to himself, okay, I'm going to fudge just a little bit. This is really for the priests, but uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I mean, after all, this guy is working for the king. And, you know, Ahimelech's completely bought into the story. And so Saul's the king, and he's God's king, and so we'll just kind of make this a religious mission. You're on a religious mission, aren't you, David? Oh, yeah, it's a religious mission. So I need you to be in a really good spiritual place before I allow you to take the special bread of presence that's been prepared for the priests who are completely ceremonially clean, have been kept from women and the whole deal, and, and, and you know everything's on the up and up, and they're in the religious right place to be able to receive this. And you're there too, aren't you, David? And David says, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm there. Indeed, he says in verse 5, indeed, women have been kept from us. There is no us. <laughs> He's by himself. As usual, whenever I set out, the men's things are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? He just lies to the priest. Oh, yeah, we've consecrated ourselves. We've stayed away. We've done all the right things. We've, <clears throat> we've ceremonially kept ourselves away from all the things we're supposed to. We, we can by right have this bread. It's okay, Himelech. It's all right. He lies, and now he has Ahimelech taking the bread of presence and giving it to him. Verse 6, so the priest gave him the consecrated bread. Since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now, if you're a priest and you walk in to, to eat your daily bread and you break it off and it's warm and it's steaming a little bit, you know something's up. Because whenever they got bread, it wasn't like that. It had been sitting out for a while. It wasn't, wasn't fresh bread. It wasn't fresh from the oven. These guys are going to walk in and get this fresh hot bread, and they're going to think, what's up with that? Why? Because David has taken the bread that was for them. 
keep in mind that the bread of presence is an icon that represents the presence of God in the lives of the Israelites, the protection and provision of God at all times. It was an icon of the faithfulness of God, something that David desperately needs to be made aware of at this moment because what David's doing is so far outside what God wants him to do. The minute David saw this bread, he should have thought to him, see, he really should have hit his knees. He should have hit his knees and said, you know what, (laughs) I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I've allowed myself to get this far. Of course God's watching over me. Of course if God said I'm going to be the king, I'm going to be the king. It doesn't matter what Saul says. Saul's not God. God is God. But David was so desperate that he takes the bread that he should never have touched. He scoops it up. He puts some of it in his bag. And he's about to leave. Look at verse 7. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite. Saul's head shepherd. Doeg's hanging out with the priest. They're not really sure why. It could have been that he was unclean in some way. Could have been on a special uh, errand for someone, maybe the king. He might have had leprosy. They don't really know what was going on with him. He might have been waiting for some kind of clearance. Doeg sees David conversing, and he makes these trades with Ahimelech. He sees this all going on. And this, at this point, if this story has a soundtrack... It's at this point that you would hear the, you know, the obligatory da 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 da. You know, this is where the music heightens your awareness to, oh no, that's bad. Doeg just saw this conversation between David and Ahimelech. Verse 8, David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or a sword here? Huh? <laughs> yeah. Don't you guys have a spear or a sword here? I mean, don't you have some weaponry? I need some weaponry. It's like somebody walking into my office and say, hey, you got a 357 Magnum I could borrow for a few minutes. We don't generally keep things like that in the office. Um, it just would be weird. What would you think if you walked in and said, Brett, you got a 40 caliber hanging around here somewhere? Oh, yeah, hold on just a minute. I'll get one out of my bottom desk drawer. There you go. You, you'd walk out and think, what kind of church am I going to? You probably think that anyway, but, but you would definitely think that if I could produce firearms out of the office, right? It's just a silly question. David, you mean you don't even have a weapon? You're on a special mission from from the king. You've got your men hiding out somewhere, and you don't have any weapons? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. Listen, you know, I'm not an expert on the U.S. military, but I'm pretty sure that one of the first things they teach them is no matter how big a hurry you're in, take your weapons with you. Make sure they're in good working order. Know where they're at. And when we leave to go on a mission, it might be a really good idea to take that with you. That's why we brought you here in the first place. Okay, David, so your guys are out there. They're camouflaged and they're hiding somewhere. You're on some special mission for the king and you don't have any weapons and you don't have any food. And right now you're in the epicenter of peace and you're asking me for weapons. Doesn't make any sense. And David lies again. Oh, yeah, you know, our soldiers were in such a hurry that we just, we got out of there as quick as we could. Now, you know, we laugh at David and we, we kind of get tickled at, at that David could tell a story like that and we think to ourselves, you know, we can read this and see it and say it's so clear. You know, David, David, can't you see that God's really got his hand on you if you just would, would stop? And, 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 but, but he does what we do. He panics. 
and he can't see the future and he doesn't know and he's making some bad decisions and he's telling some you know pretty outlandish stories and we want to laugh at those stories but honestly if you think about it if you think about the times you've panicked if you think about the times that that you've kind of stepped outside of what you should be doing and you know that there have been those times in your life I know there have been times in my life and the stories that we've told sometimes they sound just as outlandish as what it is that David's doing right here I bet some of our stories have been just as strange, just as over the top, just as laughable as what David's doing. Verse 9, the priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, if you have a pen, this would be a good place to underline, whom you killed, oh, by the way, David, this harkens back to a time when you were really in tune and you really were following God and you had all this courage and you knew God's hand was on you and you were just, you know, you weren't going to let anybody taunt the armies of the living God. David, this is the only sword we have. The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but this one. So the priest goes back, and he grabs this sword. And and this thing had to have been huge. I mean, Goliath was a massive man. And the sword that he used probably was as big as I am, probably as big as the priest. I mean, it probably took everything that this priest had just to carry this sword out, to even show it to David. And he's carrying an icon of the faithfulness of God specifically to David. This isn't just something that that God's done for the whole nation of Israel. This is an icon of of God's faithfulness to David specifically. And it's at that point that you just want to kind of knock on David's head and say, hello, McFly. What are you thinking? Don't you remember how God was with you and how God's been with you your whole life? And what are you doing? It's a reminder to David that there are God's ways and there are man's ways. That when God's on your side, you don't have to fear. And you don't have to live life like it's hopeless. No matter how hopeless it looks, And you want to start thinking to yourself, if I don't, then it won't. If I don't move on this, then it's not going to happen the right way. When the priest walked in with this sword, that should have been David's clue clue to fall on his knees and say, what am I doing? Why am I running? Why have I abandoned God? Why have I jettisoned everything that was important to me in terms of my character and everything that I've stood for? I remember the day I walked down into that valley and I just knew that God was behind me. I didn't even have to think about it. It was just a given God was faithful to me then. God will be faithful to me now. Why in the world am I afraid? Why am I lying? Why am I telling stories? Why am I taking things that don't belong to me, that, that I don't have any business even touching, much less you know, eating and talking about? This stuff doesn't belong to me. I expect somewhere in your home there is a picture or a, a book, a scrapbook, a, a journal entry, something that reminds you of God's faithfulness to you there's there's probably something that you've got that would be we would call an icon of God's faithfulness to you that when you look at it and you you hold it you kind of pause and you stand there and you think man God's so good to me David forgets 
Second part of verse 9, there is none like it. Give it to me. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. When he gets there, he realizes that he's in danger again. He's, he's in a foreign land with a foreign king. And this king knows who David is too. And this king has also purposed to kill David. And David lies again and he pretends to be insane and slobbers all over himself and, and uh, he acts like a crazy man and the king says, this guy's no threat to us. Get him out of here. We don't even want to mess with him. I mean, what's wrong with this guy? So David goes from one exploit to another taking care of himself and, and the whole while abandoning God. But, but you hear that and you say, but you know, who could blame him, really? I mean, it, he doesn't have a crystal ball and he can't look into the future he doesn't know what's going to happen and all he knows is what he's told and what he's told is in the future my dad wants to kill you and then he finds out this king is not real happy with him and he starts thinking to himself you know the only thing I know is that this guy doesn't seem to to, to really want me around why would God set him up like that put him on the verge of something great and then rip the rug right out from under him let me ask you this question what do you do what is your M.O. when this happens to you? When, when life has served you up the sweetest softball you've ever seen and you're about to knock it out of the park and the next thing you know, the softball just disappears. And, and, and you, you, you know, for the life of you, you can't figure out what went wrong. You can't figure out what happened. I'm too old to go back, or I'll never get that opportunity again, or they only had so many scholarships and there's not one left for me. Whatever the thing is that you thought you needed or you, that God was going to do for you, how do you handle those things? People do all kinds of things. Reach for a bottle, they reach for pills, they reach for a computer, they try to see things they shouldn't see, they say things they shouldn't say, they associate themselves with people that they shouldn't, they get vindictive, they get vengeful. More than once, I've sat in a counseling situation where I've watched a marriage falling apart, and the person who had, feels like they've been mistreated or the one that feels like they haven't, um, that life hasn't gone their way, you, you hear them say things that kind of sound like, you know what, they've made my life miserable. I'm going to make their life miserable. And just the question I would ask you is, how's that response working out for you? David? All this taking life into your own hands and all this doing things the way you think it needs to be done, how's that working for you? Saul found out that David had been in Nob, the city of priests, because Doeg told him. He said, oh yeah, I was there. Ahimelech was talking to David. He fed him, he armed him, he sent him on his way. Saul gets his army together, he marches them to Nob to see Ahimelech and he says, did you help David? Now keep in mind that Ahimelech does not know that David's been lying to him. As far as Ahimelech is concerned, he's acted in good conscience and good faith toward David. Ahimelech has done nothing wrong. Ahimelech has, has listened to this, this, you know, basically a, a vice president type feeding this line in this huge story. Did you feed David? Yeah, I fed him. Of course I fed him. You think I'm not going to feed him when he's on business for you? I mean, he said he was on a special mission. If I don't feed him, you're going to come kill me. You're here to give me a medal, right? No, Ahimelech, no. We're not here to give you a medal. The Bible says that Saul was so angry that he looked at the captain of his guard and he said, kill Ahimelech. 
And, and the guard said, I, I'm not killing a priest. I'm not doing that. Doeg said, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm an Edomite. I don't care. I'll kill. Who do you want me to kill? And Doeg killed Ahimelech and slaughtered his family, and they killed all 79 priests in Nob that day. Their families, they killed their children, and then they leveled the city. Ahimelech had a son who was able to escape, and he made his way to David. And when he got to David, he said, David, because of your interaction with my father and because of the lies that you told and because of all this stuff that you just told Amalek, my dad, he's now been murdered. My mother has been murdered. My brothers and sisters have all been killed. They've killed every priest in the town and they have leveled the city. How'd that work out for you, David? This whole doing it your way thing this whole taking matters into your own hands this whole idea of if I don't then it won't instead of letting God be faithful and instead of putting your trust and your faith in God and doing things the way he calls you to do them and not step outside that and not tell a bunch of lies and not act out of character how's that working out for you these days David not very well we find out later that this was a defining moment for David and in that moment, something changed for David. In that moment, uh, David learned some things. For the rest of his life, he would carry the memory and the responsibility of the actions that he'd, he'd carried out and what it meant for people that were, you know, not even related to him, completely innocent people. Several hundred people being slaughtered just because he had been dishonest, just because he had decided, you know what, if, if it's not going to happen that way, I've got to make it happen that way. Because of his dishonesty and fear and how he reacted to the terror and dread of, oh my goodness, God is not for me. Oh my goodness, I thought that God had it all lined up and I'm starting to see the future and it's not all lined up. Here's what I would tell you today. I would tell you that when life starts to go absolutely nuts and completely crazy for you and about the time you think that there that you have lost all control that is a reminder to you that is a reminder to you that God is not out of control that God has not lost control and it may look crazy and you may think there's no way there's no hope and there's absolutely nothing that I can do about this I you know but but I I think I think I can do that I'm going to do that it's a reminder to all of us that God is in control and he's sovereign. One of the things I do whenever I go to the hospital and pray with people who are in dire need and, and sick and whenever I'm with someone that their, their world feels like it's coming apart and they say, will you pray with me? And I say, yeah, let's pray. One of, the things I, one of the first things I start praying is, Lord, we know you are sovereign. You are in charge. And it may feel like we don't have any control of anything and maybe we don't. But you've got this whole thing in your hands and we're just going to put our faith and our trust in you. And whatever you bring our way, we will deal with. Help us to be faithful. Help us to worship you through it. Help us to love you the way we know that you love us. That's how you pray in those kind of situations. Lord, this doesn't look good. I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death. Lord, it doesn't seem like there's any hope at all. 
And I'm so tempted to disbelieve. And I'm so tempted to take matters into my own hands. And I'm so tempted. I'm mad, and I'm tired of walking the line. I'm tired of doing everything the right way. Lord, I just want to quit. I just, I, I'm so upset. I'm so angry. I'm so disillusioned. But Lord, you're God. You're sovereign. You're holy. You made the sun, moon, and the stars. You made me. You made all these circumstances. You've got this. I know you've got this. And I will walk faithfully with my eyes on you until you show me the way. And I'm confident that you will. That's how you respond. That's how you pray. Whenever life gives you something and you say to yourself, I never thought it would be like this. You know what? In life, in in every one of our lives, there is a point when we are Ralphie walking up those steps. I wanted to be begun. And now I'm going to go put on this pink bunny suit. I mean, what is that about? I, I want you to, you're kind of chuckling, and I kind of, you know, I don't want this to end on a real dinner. I want you kind of smiling as you leave. But I want you to equate whatever disappointment you've got in your life with the bunny suit. Because what Ralphie doesn't know is when he goes upstairs and he puts on the bunny suit and he comes back down and his mother's going on and on and Ralphie says, all I can hope is that, you know, Flick doesn't find out that I had to put, that I, this is what I got for Christmas. And he's all dejected and he's down and he's, you know, he's pretty much gotten past the disappointment of, of there is no BB gun under the Christmas tree for me and dad says, hey, Ralphie, I think there's one other present. Check over next to the desk, over in the corner. Dad had it taken care of. Dad supplied what it was that Ralphie uh, really, you know, at that point thought he needed. Now, this illustration breaks down if I push it too much further. But what I want you to understand is that God has whatever it is that's going on in your world, and he's faithful. And he can deal with it. You may not be able to, but he can. And so where we need to be this morning is at a place where we just simply come to him and we say, Lord, you've got this and I know it, and I'm just going to walk faithfully until you show me the way. If you've never given your life to Christ, I can tell you this. I can tell you that there will be times when you come to him. I mean, I've heard preachers and I've heard Christians talk sometimes, and they would have you believe that when you give your life to Christ, you never have any more problems. Life is cushy and easy, and you're going to make a million dollars and live in a big house and have no more problems. It's not true. Not true. In fact, if you come to Christ, you may have more problems than you had to begin with. If you come to Christ, it may cause some things to happen in your world that you didn't expect. God may start talking to you and have you doing some things that you never dreamed possible. You may be Ryan Persh in Thailand, and the idea of being a youth pastor dawns on you. Oh, my goodness. Five years ago, I wasn't even a Christian. Now I'm possibly going to be a youth pastor? Who knows what God would do with you? Now, I'm not telling you that if you come to Christ, he's going to turn you into a youth pastor. He may make a missionary out of you. I don't know. I'm playing. I'm playing. I know this. I know that life is going to throw you all kinds of curves, and just because you're a Christian doesn't mean uh, that that stops. But you will serve a God, and you will walk faithfully with a God who's got everything covered He's sovereign, he's in charge, and he knows how to handle everything that's coming your way, even when you don't. So if you've never given your life to Christ, I would invite you. I would encourage you to do that today. 
You'll have a perspective on life um, like you've never had before. And life, in a lot of ways, even the bad stuff is going to make a lot more sense to you. Let's pray together. Father, all of us have been Ralphie. There's, there's Ralphies in the room this morning, God. People that are asking themselves, you know, what happened? This was going to be so good, and, and, and I thought it was all going to work out, and I'm looking around, and it's not working out at all. And Lord, instead of me raising my hands and praising your name, I'm really tempted to curse you and really tempted to, to say, hey, what's up? Because this didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. Father, it's in this moment that we would just stop and, and recenter ourselves and refocus and say again, you are sovereign. You are completely in charge, completely in control. And while our worlds may have spun out of our hands, they have not spun out of yours. I just kind of wonder what was going through the mind of Mary. Pregnant and unmarried and on the road. Governments want more money from us. And there's a crazy king that wants to kill all the little boys. Life must have seemed pretty out of control for her. But praise God that she had her faith and trust in God. That she, 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 Lord, she looked at you and she said, you know what, I'll take whatever. I'm just going to be faithful. I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do. She didn't take matters into her own hands. Father, could we be like Mary this month? Could we, could we tomorrow when we wake up and we think that things have just spun so far out of control, would you just remind us again, you've got this. You've got this. Lord, we know you love us. It's at this point in our service that we just kind of get to our knees and we look at you and we say, through all of our failure, through all of our sin, through all of our grief, through all of the stuff that's going on in our world, Lord, we love you. Oh, we love you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.